0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Is the U.S. on the verge of another trade war with China? We have new developments. A tale of two wheat harvests this year.
2: It's turning into quite the slugfest to get things finished out.
1: From a rapid finish for farmers in Missouri to a sluggish start in Kansas, it's a battle with weather, turning a blank space into a work of art.
3: This time of the year wheat is a phenomenal uh, canvas for
4: us to work in.
1: A big Midwestern welcome to Kansas City for Taylor Swift and it's all powered by precision. And in John's world.
4: Is China using slave labor to gain an economic advantage?
0: U.S. Farm Report, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer. What's next happens here.
1: Now for the news, it appears drought conditions have improved slightly across the country. Heavy rains fell this past week across parts of the Midwest, the Ohio River Valley, and the Northeast, and that led to improvements from Southeast Nebraska to Central Illinois, Southern Indiana, and Central and Eastern Kentucky. But the latest drought monitor continues to show large areas of concern in the Corn Belt, including Nebraska, Kansas, And Missouri. And now 67% of the nation's corn crop is in drought. That's down three points from last week. And 60% of the soybeans are impacted by drought also down three percentage points. Those rains also leading to some improvements in crop conditions in the latest report from USDA. USDA says 51% of the nation's corn crop is now rated good to excellent, a one percentage point increase over last week, but the soybean crop, there was a one point drop in the ratings from the previous week. Now 50% is rated good to excellent compared to last year's 51%. The crop conditions still dropped in several states last week, even with some rain, and that's the case in Nebraska. With little carryover effects of last year's drought in central and eastern portions of the state, have had very little precipitation this season, and it's resulted in declining crop conditions. USDA's latest crop progress report shows 49% of the corn crop was in good-to-excellent condition, down 8 points. Soybeans were rated only 43% good-to-excellent, a drop of 4 points. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen traveling to Beijing this week. That's as concerns are now growing of a possible new trade war with China. The White House saying the trip was another step in the Biden administration taking to improve communications between the two superpowers, but no significant breakthroughs were anticipated. The meeting comes after Beijing this week announced export controls on two obscure minerals that are key to the production of semiconductors, electric vehicles, and aerospace manufacturing. And now the Biden administration is set to restrict Chinese companies access to U.S. cloud computing services that use AI chips. Bart Ruth, the former American Soybean Association president, says relations between China and the U.S. haven't been this poor for 30 years.
3: The uh, trade war in the last administration was a disaster. Um, we didn't end up with anything better than we had and damaged relations in the process. So. That's my personal opinion, but it didn't do us any good. So you kind of have to do a reset and, and move forward.
1: A Biden administration official told reporters the U.S. does not seek to decouple our economies from China and adding that a full suscitation of trade and investment would be destabilizing for both countries and the global economy. Well, one person died, two others were hospitalized after a grain elevator collapse in Texas. That's outside Corpus Christi, and it happened at R&R Commodities. The B County Sheriff's Office says they were called there on a report that two grain silos had ruptured and collapsed onto two 18 wheelers and another vehicle. People came from miles around, even volunteers with shovels in an attempt to search for the missing employees. But investigators say one man was found dead under the debris. It's not known what caused the collapse. A new report shows last year a roughly 40 percent increase occurred in the number of reported cases and accidents involving ag-confined spaces. The biggest increase? Green bin entrapments. A new study from Purdue University reported no fewer than 83 cases last year. 24 were fatal and there were 59 non-fatal. That's compared to 59 total cases in 2021. Now, of the total number of confinement cases, 42 were grain-related entrapments. That's a more than 44% increase over the previous year, and the highest number reported in over a decade. It appears farmers are feeling more optimistic these days with the new ag economy barometer rising again. The monthly survey from CME Group and Purdue University climbing 17 points to a reading of 121 in June. The index now sets 24 points higher than last year, but it's still down 16 points from two years ago. The increase was attributed to an improvement in future expectations, which was up 25 points compared to last month.
5: Producers in this month's Ag Economy Barometer survey became much more optimistic about farmland values. The short-term farmland value expectation index was up 16 points compared to last month, although that still left the index 10 points below where it was this time last year.
1: Surveyors say the rally in corn and soybean prices for harvest time delivery that got underway in late May and extended into June was likely a contributing factor to the increases. That's it for the news. Well, rain did fall across more of the country this past week, but it barely put a dent in the drought. We'll get an updated look at your forecast next. It's time now for a check of weather. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joining us now. Matt, even with the rains late last week and over the holiday weekend, there really wasn't much change in the overall drought picture. We still have 63% of the country in moderate drought. That is less than a one percentage point improvement in a week's time. So why are we not seeing the drought monitor change much more?
6: Yeah, Tyne, that's a a really good question. Actually, something that we've talked about before on the farm report is the last couple of weeks, in fact, this entire season, both spring and summer, it's been more about localized rainfall. So when you look at the drought monitor a week to week or even month to month, we're seeing small changes because of the localized rainfall rather than these large systems. Now we look at the root zone map, we've seen a few improvements. Uh, into Indiana and Ohio where we're actually getting back more into the blue where it was pretty dry, Uh, but large areas into Minnesota and Wisconsin uh, also remain uh, very dry at this point. And one thing we haven't seen all that much, uh, this season, both spring and into summer, are our low-pressure systems digging down or a trough digging down, and uh, picking up some gulf moisture and spreading rain across the plains and back here to the east. We've really been relying heavily uh, on localized showers and thunderstorms and where that rain has come down at times. It has created some uh, flooding problems. But again, it's not widespread. It's very localized. And Speaking of which, we look at the precipitation outlook between July 13th and July 19th. Uh, We do have a pocket of above or wetter than normal conditions, mainly because that jet stream is doing what kind of we need it to do. It is doing it late, though, over here towards the east coast where we pick up the gulf moisture and also some Atlantic moisture, enough lift with that front, with that low-pressure system, for some rain back into Tennessee and the east coast. What we want to see is that trough dig deeper to the west, which would spread the rain chances uh, into the Dakotas, uh, the Plains, even into Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, Unfortunately, though, the ridge high pressure is going to be building in. We're looking at drier than average conditions back out into Utah, California, and see the temperature outlook is going to be very similar to the trend that we just saw with the precipitation. And that a pocket of cool air is going to be swinging down some energy from the north, picking up that moisture from the the Gulf and the Atlantic and spreading it back out here towards the east. So slightly below average temperatures between July 11th and July 15th on the east coast where that ridge is setting up, that's where the heat is going to start to build and extends all the way back up into portions of the northwest. So here's a look at the jet stream going into your Monday and Tuesday. Hope you had a great weekend. I'd say 4th of July weekend, but 4th of July was on Tuesday, so you get what I'm saying. For your jet stream, Monday, there's that pocket of cooler air and then the ridge building back off to the west, which is going to keep things pretty dry and hot through Texas and New Mexico.
1: Thanks, Matt. Well, for more rains to addressing the impacts of last week's DeRate Show, will USDA change its yield estimate in next week's report? We'll ask our analysts this weekend, Tommy Crisafi and Brian Split. They join us to talk markets right after the break.
7: Registration is open for the 2023 Pro Farmer Crop Tour, August 21st through the 24th. Attend one of our nightly meetings or join online as we gain insight on the twenty twenty three growing season. Visit ProFarmerCroptour.com forward slash register to select the stop nearest you.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Brian Split, Tommy Grasafi joining us to talk marketing roundtables. Last weekend on the show we had a lot to digest. We just had grain stocks, we had a look at acreage, we also had the durate show that that hit the Midwest. But the analyst last week calling that report a game changer for soybeans. Brian, are prices still acting that way?
2: Uh, we've seen a little bit of a pullback off of the highs, and I still think it's worth uh, really considering managing risk here. Uh, we still have uh, adequate global supplies of soybeans. And I think uh, based on the weather that we've dealt with in May, June, uh, and, and looking ahead into July, uh, to me, the the bean crop has – to. Uh, maybe a higher potential of reaching trend or above trend yields compared to corn. I think it's uh, pretty uh, well uh, solidified that the corn crop is not going to attain a trend line yield. Uh, Most of the uh, estimates I'm hearing are in the low to mid 170s, maybe 172 to 174 uh, bushels per acre on corn. But I think soybeans still have that potential to reach trend or higher.
1: Well, and we'll get into what we should watch in that upcoming USDA report next week. But right now, is the focus still weather, Tommy? I mean, we've seen some rains, but rains miss other areas of the Corn Belt. It's never going to be
8: perfect everywhere. What's interesting about this year is the fringe acres, every everywhere but the I states are actually doing very well. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, up in the Dakotas, uh, there, there's pockets of trouble everywhere. And I, I can't remember a year where everything was perfect. And I can't remember a year where everything was just like some other analog year. I know everyone's trying to compare this to 2012. How about we just compare it to 2023? That's what year it is. Uh, The world's a different place than it was in 2012. The interest rates are a different place than they were in 2012. Uh, Allegedly these hybrids are just amazing. So give them a chance, right? Let's see what, if we were gonna stress the crop out, let's see if these rains could help them. I, I don't doubt that we're not at that corn yield. And and this is the time of year where people really focus on trying to be a predictor of what the yield is. And we're forgetting by far the most important part. Do we have someone to sell it to? Who are we going to sell? Whether we're 178 yield, 171 yield, do we have someone to sell it to? You can see by the price action, in the cattle that there's not a lot of cattle out there. The hog industry has been rocked. We'll see how demand is there. Keep an eye on China. If there was one surprise to come, looks like China's having adverse weather. If China came in to buy corn, that might be what takes us back to that 550, 575 level time.
1: Well, Tommy hit on several things, Brian, but as we head into the report next week, a lot of questions on will USDA adjust adjust their yield forecast? And then is there anything on the demand side that we may see as far as revisions go?
2: Yeah, so Tommy had mentioned 2012, and I think the real analog comparisons 2013 Um, And so interestingly, uh, we did go a little bit higher this year compared to where we did in 2013. We had about three days of extra buying uh, past the highs that were made in the March uh, quarterly stocks and planning intentions report that took us up close to $6.30 a bushel. Uh, But when you look at what we've done since then, we've actually caught right back up to what we were doing in 2013. And July 5th of 2013, Deese corn made a low of 490 uh, just to rally up to about 528 into the July WASDE report. And I think you're going to see something similar as we approach that report. We're seeing some buying uh, coming out of the 4th of July holiday. And I think the thought is that you're going to see the USDA reduce yield uh, from the trend and, and acknowledge the poor growing conditions that we've had. And things have improved a little bit with some of the recent rain. Uh, but I think you're you're likely to see the USDA uh, bring yield down, uh, potentially uh, because of the extra acres we got on that report, 176.8 is is the yield that we could see that basically washes away those those extra two million acres. So anything below that, uh, and you're potentially going to see a lower carryout month to month on the on the WASA report from June. Now, as far as demand goes, uh, we still have a problem with our export book, and that's for both corn and soybeans. I know Tommy had mentioned some concerns about weather in China. Uh, if China was going to come in and, and do some buying, this sure seems like a good opportunity for them to do that. Uh, but I think they're probably going to continue to work their way through the Safrina crop before they come to the U.S. crop and have the ability to buy U.S. corn uh, in the low to mid forest come fall.
1: Well, wheat prices have been on a roller coaster. We've seen a rebound when it comes to pork prices. We will cover it all coming up with Brian and Tommy later on U.S. Farm Report. A proposed measure in the House would ban imports of minerals mined through child labor, specifically calling out China. But what are the facts around forced labor? That's John's World this week.
4: The startling change in in global industrial competitiveness in this century has left many in the U.S. wondering how everybody else caught up so fast. One frequent allegation is other countries, but China in particular, uses forced or slave labor to gain economic advantage. Now, finding the best information on this charge turned out to be a lot trickier than I thought, despite several uh, good humanitarian groups providing data. The numbers don't match and need some interpretation. For example, the country most guilty of forced labor is not China, but India. Checking the fine print at the bottom of those estimates reveals some traditional practices, especially arranged marriages and forced sex trade comprise a large proportion of this total. Now I don't dispute that that's slavery, but I'm not sure how it gives them an advantage in industrial output. Another recent outcry has been over child labor to mine rare earths to make EVs. One example has been cobalt from the Democratic Republic of Congo. EVs have spurred demand and prices for such ores and the DRE supplies about half to the world. Children are working in those mines, but in the DRC it seems to be mostly kind of a family phenomenon. The cobalt boom era began with one man digging up his backyard, it's that easy. In such impoverished countries, it is not necessary to enslave, even minimal wages will attract the impoverished. Artisanal or freelance mining is in many ways similar to gold rush miners. Like all such sudden demand shocks, there can be sudden price changes. Cobalt is a grim example. As other nations like Australia and Cuba expand industrial mines, miners in the DRC will struggle to work cheap enough to complete, or compete. The despotic government of the DRC is facing increasing pressure, with publicity-sensitive cobalt buyers shifting to other sources and less cobalt-intense technology. That may be an effective way to end slave-wage labor, but the result is still abject poverty without political and economic change. The market will not solve the modern industrial slave labor problem, but there are fewer and fewer suitable jobs. You don't use slave labor for high-tech jobs. Even the traditional slave employment, agriculture, is shedding jobs globally. There is truly despicable slavery ongoing, but little in manufacturing. In fact, the off-sighted Uyghur exploitation in China is concentrated in agriculture, picking cotton, disturbingly, with some in textiles and mining. It's less about cheap labor and more about kind of a prison punishment. I agree China is a serious offender in forced labor, but there is scant evidence it provides them significant global manufacturing advantages.
1: Thanks, John, and don't forget to send your questions or comments to John at mailbag at usfarmreport.com. All right, on a lighter note, we're off to the Show Me State for a Custom H. Machinery Repeat has Tractor Tales next.
4: Hey, we got an interesting one for you on Tractor Tales this week, folks. We're heading to Missouri to check out a prototype Custom H.
9: This is my 1949 Custom. This is the prototype of this series of tractors. There was the lighter ones first, but this one is the prototype. Uh, It was built before the Montgomery Wards were even thought of. And uh, the smaller version of these tractors, there were several of them built at the same time and after this one was built because the serial numbers kind of run together. And there was no numbers have ever been found lower than this one. And it, it isn't quite right because this is an H series tractor and the, when they put them in production they were either HR or an HW for an H narrow front row crop or a wide front. And this one's neither, it's just an H. And the letter H was made with the stencil for a number one. You know, they did two sides in the middle with that number one to make the H on it. And I found this, and a neighbor told me he knew where there was one at, and it was at Rantoul, Illinois. And I called the guy and visited with him, and he says, I understand you work on tractors. And I said, that's right, I do. And he says, I'll tell you what, I've got a tractor out here I want to run. I want it for parades and stuff, and nobody will work on it. If you will make that tractor run, I will give you this tractor. Friends of mine that are in the Custom Club, when I got it, I told them that I had got this tractor, and they wanted the serial number to keep in their register to tell how many of them are still existing. And I give them the number, and they said, oh, you need to clean that up some more and get another number. You don't have enough numbers. Well, I had sandblasted it, the number was very plain, and I took photos of it and sent them to that. They wanted to see the tractor.
1: Thanks, Greg. Well, some areas of the country are seeing a record harvest pace. So why is winter wheat harvest nationwide running behind? We wade through the tale of two harvests this year. That's our Farm Journal Report, next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report,
0: trusted, timely tradition
1: it's the tale of two harvests for wheat this year the national snapshot of crop progress really says it all with harvest running nine points behind average while drought is actually aiding a rapid even record harvest pace for farmers in missouri and eastern kansas if you head farther south and west it's been a sluggish start due to a new battle too much rain and it's something that we show you this week in our farm journal report The rhythm of wheat harvest is sweeping across these amber waves of grain at a pace this farmer has never seen.
10: This is the earliest we've harvested wheat that I can remember. We've been able to get in the field at least three to four weeks earlier than we would have on a typical year.
1: In eastern Kansas, Adam Phelan says last year they weren't able to even start harvest until mid-July. This year, harvest is nearly wrapped up.
10: And it's because of these dry conditions that we've been able to get in so much earlier.
1: With cracks in the ground and visible stress to the crops, signs of drought are visible even with recent scattered rains. But wheat yields on this farm are surprisingly still good.
10: We had pretty decent rains earlier in the spring that really helped. The yields have been in the mid-50s to lower 60s throughout our area.
1: And it's a big difference from 2022. Last year's were a little bit lower.
10: They were in the 40s, our wheat yields.
1: Wheat yields are strong in eastern Kansas, but the area only accounts for about 10% of the state's total wheat production. And when you travel farther west and south. Well, harvest is
2: progressing really slow.
1: story of wheat harvest this year? Is much different.
2: It's turning into quite the slugfest to get things finished
1: out. Justin Gilpin is the CEO of Kansas Wheat, who's constantly communicating with growers across the state.
8: that's frustrating probably is the best way to describe it. Uh, you know, we. Because of the rains that came late that we really needed back in March and April that uh, for this crop to benefit from uh, are really coming and cre- uh, now creating some challenges.
1: Gilpin says the wheat tour this year already exposed droughts impact on the crop, especially in the central corridor. Uh,
8: those were drought stricken areas where we had uh, you know, thin short wheat uh, that uh, the yields were between 10 and 25 bushels per acre. And what farmers are having to deal with now is because of the rain and the lack of canopy, Uh, the weed pressure that's really come on where you have weeds that are actually taller than some of the uh the low yielding wheat that's out there
1: the wheat tour in may already projected abandonment at 19 percent in kansas due to scars of drought and cold weather but now that figure could continue to grow i
3: do
2: think it probably is going to climb a little bit more because of the challenges with the uh, with rain and the weed pressure that's coming on.
1: USDA's crop progress report this week showed statewide Kansas farmers are running 17 points behind average when it comes to harvest, but look at Missouri farmers nearing the finish line with 88% of the crop already harvested. That's 14 points ahead of normal and the rapid planting pace is a storyline sweeping across Missouri farms.
5: The last time we planted wheat was probably six years ago.
1: Just like other farmers across the Midwest, the Nails decided to give wheat a try again this year for two major reasons.
5: Summer income and the price was pretty attractive as well.
1: Nails says only about 10% of their acres were covered in wheat this winter, a decision that's paying off on the good ground.
5: The lighter soil has struggled. Uh, We were dry at a crucial time and uh, lighter soil really uh, struggled this year. We did have some wheat that was running 80, 90 bushel on the good dirt.
1: What's considered good here? 60 to 70 bushel per acre winter wheat.
5: But on this, you know, lighter dirt, 30, 40 was catching most of that.
1: The neighboring farmer, Tom Waters. Yeah, I like to grow wheat. I just, I like cutting wheat. Wheat is a staple.
0: Wheat has kind of a bad reputation in our area. I still like to plant it. I fertilize the heck out of it and just figure some of that fertilizer
3: is good for the beans too.
1: With a heavy dose of fertilizer across their winter wheat, it's showing up in their yields.
3: We're probably normal, maybe a little above. I think this field's probably going to be between 80 and 90 bushel. So uh, can't complain about that for sure.
1: But it's dryness and triple-digit heat last week now sprouting concerns about the summer crops. Both Nail and Waters double-crop soybeans behind their wheat, but the Nail's deciding to turn on their pivot just to get the crop up.
5: We just don't have much uh, subsoil moisture
10: here at all.
1: As for wheat, it's a year producing a lot of firsts
10: talking to guys out in western Kansas they're talking about having to plant around mud puddles this year and we're talking about not being able to get any moisture to get our beans
1: up. And it's the potential harvest outcome in the nation's breadbasket that continues to capture interest from around the world. Now one thing Kansas wheat is concerned about is seed availability for next year, so they're encouraging producers to actually start those conversations early. But one of those fields in Missouri, harvest was not the end of the story for that field. It actually turned into a work of art. We'll show you that at the end of the show. But coming up next, what was behind wheat prices this week? Brian Split and Tommy Grossafi rejoin me next.
7: Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. ONLY ON MACHINERYPEAT.COM.
1: ALL RIGHT, TOMMY, WE JUST LOOKED AT WINTER WHEAT HARVEST ACROSS KANSAS AND MISSOURI. IT REALLY IS A MIXED BAG. YIELDS BETTER IN SOME AREAS, BUT ALSO LOOKING AT AN INCREASE OF ABANDONMENT. WHEAT PRICES HAVE BEEN EXTREMELY VOLATILE, THOUGH, LATELY.
8: THEY HAVE. THERE'S uh, HEADLINES COMING OUT OF uh, RUSSIA, UKRAINE. The, THOSE NEVER, uh, Those are. Ne- THOSE AREN'T GOING TO STOP FOR A WHILE. THERE'S TENSION OVER THERE, AND THAT ADDS PREMIUM. We're seeing too much. I talked to a coworker, Brady Huck, out there. I said, "Did you guys just go from not having enough rain to too much rain?" He said, "We now have plenty of rain. The rain could actually uh, disrupt harvest a little bit. Big rains happening out west. Uh, Bless for the people in uh, states like Oklahoma and Kansas and Texas. And it, weather's never easy. Tyne. you get a beautiful rain, and it happens to come with uh, baseball size hail, right?" There's, there's nothing easy about summer weather markets and but the thing is about uh, american wheat all, all three the border trade the kansas city the minneapolis who's going to buy it and brian could touch about demand on wheat but we, we've our wheat exports have changed russia is absolutely flooding the market with wheat they're even stealing the wheat from ukraine and flooding the world with that and although people pretend they're not going to buy russian wheat trust me folks if things get cheap enough they're going to buy it
1: So, Brian, when you look at wheat demand, I mean, is the market kind of becoming uh, immune to the the ongoing situation in Russia and Ukraine? And and does our wheat really have a big impact on the global picture?
2: Yeah, I mean, something that's happened as of late and maybe over the last decade, not as of late. But uh, we've really seen uh, the U.S. become the kind of the wheat bank of the world where uh, buyers typically go elsewhere prior to coming to the U.S. for physical supply. And uh, I, I think as we approach mid month here. We're, we know that the uh, the current agreement for the grain corridor is coming to an end on July 18th. Uh, there's going to be quite a bit of headline volatility uh, leading up to that. We've already seen or, you know, Russia uh, imply that they're not going to renew that, but they've said the same thing uh, the past two prior negotiation cycles. Uh, so I, I think you're going to see some headline risk.
1: Tommy, when you look at the spreads between hogs and cattle, I mean, things are finally looking up for pork prices right now, what has changed?
8: Well, there, the Prop 12 was a, a, a bomb, uh, kind of reminds me of that uh, fireworks, meme we saw there on Twitter where the one rocket hit the other whole bag of the fireworks. That Prop 12 made people realize how fragile agriculture is in America in the sense that there's a select handful of people determining how we're going to eat, the quality food we're gonna eat, And they are so disconnected from agriculture. And now, because what happened in California, all the states that want to mix it up and tell you exactly how a pork chop should be raised are going to start making laws. And that Supreme Court decision is going to come back to haunt people. So anyone out there involved in any form of agriculture needs to go out there and be an advocate. The volatility in hogs and cattle are going to continue. I'm happy the price went up. If they went much lower, there would have been an incredible amount of pain and several more bankruptcies.
1: Well, Brian, real quick, we don't have much time, but what are the technicals telling us?
8: Hogs have a very good technical
2: picture. Uh, You start with the fund manager, was record short. They've gotten long hogs, and uh, that was recently, so I don't think they're ready to turn that around and go short quite yet. We've got uh, August, for example, has a head and shoulder bottom. We broke through the neckline of that pattern over the last couple of days. We've had a uh, we've bitten off a large chunk in, in a very short period of time, so I wouldn't be surprised if hogs maybe need to go back and revisit that neckline support before the next leg higher. But uh, I, I think we've got uh, some some higher highs in store.
1: Brian, Tommy, thank you for joining us this weekend. Let's take a quick break, and then we're off to Iowa for a community that really re- was able to rebuild with the help of some very generous community members. We have that with Farming the Countryside next. The last census showed 19.3% of the U.S. population lives in rural America, but those numbers are prior to 2020. For rural towns across the country, there's a constant effort to revitalize the communities, but the biggest challenge is often budgets. As Andrew McCray tells us this weekend in farming the countryside, one Iowa community found a way to turn big dreams into a big boon for their small town.
7: Turn back the clock about a decade ago, and Osage, Iowa had many groups with several needs. The local pool was in dire need of repair. Community members wanted an auditorium for theater and musical events. The local ag society desired a building to host events on the fairgrounds. There were many needs
0: for new facilities. Everybody was vying for uh, private funds to build their project, and it became apparent to uh, those of us that were kind of on the firing line uh, that Nobody was going to be successful. Steve Cooper is the mayor of Osage, Iowa. He says the groups knew they couldn't
7: all get what they wanted immediately. There were simply too many needs and not enough private funds to go around. Someone suggested they band together and perhaps create a facility that included everything they
0: needed. An architect was hired to design a plan. He came up with a cost at that time, and this is without without, uh, redoing the outdoor pool. He came up with a cost of around $12.5 million dollars. And when that figure surfaced, I thought, well, it was a good try. That amount of money in a town of
7: just over 3,000 people was more than anyone thought could be raised. The local Osage Education Foundation heard about the plan and the price tag. Perhaps they could share the story with those at the Alumni Banquet, since it attracts people from near and far. The message resonated, and Steve was amazed
0: by the giving, $7.5 million. We have a list of people that were donors to this, and some of them gave as little as $10. But, uh, you know, it just seemed like everybody wanted to be a part of this. What resulted is the Cedar River
7: Complex. It includes an indoor pool, fitness center, walking track, basketball
0: courts, 600-seat theater, museum, and more. This has not been a burden on anybody's taxes. Uh, This facility has been able to not only get built, but has been able to maintain uh, uh, sustainability on its own.
7: About 2,400 people have memberships for the pool and fitness center. The 600-seat theater,
0: which is part of the same complex, is also quite a draw. We now have the the Cedar Summerstock Theater, which is mostly uh, aspiring college students that uh, like theater and drama.
7: The four Broadway-style shows produced each year bring people from across the country. Perhaps the biggest impact is what the CRC has done for the present and future of this community.
0: I hear from people that say that they move back because because of, uh, not just because of the CRC, but just because of the attitude of the community and wanting to be in their hometown. Every small town has its opportunities and challenges. For residents
7: of this area, it took people coming together and even connecting with those who had ties from the past to make this place a reality. And because they did, it makes it a great place to call home. Traveling the countryside in Osage, Iowa, I'm Andrew McCray.
1: Thanks, Andrew. And if you'd like to learn more about how Osage, Iowa, was able to bring organizations together to build this impressive complex, and perhaps how you could make it happen where you live, this topic is show number 255, and you can find it at farmingthecountryside.com or look for Farming the Countryside on your favorite podcast. Well, up next are ports the reason Russia initially invaded Ukraine. The viewer question coming up in customer support right after the break. This week, a suspected Russian rocket hit an apartment building in western Ukraine, reportedly killing four and injuring 34 others. A local official calling it one of the biggest attacks on the city's civilian infrastructure. But what's the real reason Russia initially invaded Ukraine? That's customer support this week.
4: Gene Shepard, need an address, Gene, asks a timely question. Could the Russian war on Ukraine be all about warm water ports. Ah, the old warm water port theory of Russian history is a real thing. Even though it's the largest country in the world, Russia is virtually landlocked. First a definition. A warm water port is one that is unfrozen year-round. Peter the Great built St. Petersburg partly for this reason, and in his time, it wasn't even close. Both the Baltic and the Neva River froze annually much of the time. But, plus, the Baltic Sea isn't exactly an open run of the ocean. Russia's hopes for maritime access have routinely caused geopolitical tension and conflict over the Crimea. While they do have shoreline farther east on the Black Sea, there are known great natural harbors like Sevastopol or Odessa. In theory, it does have another warm water port to the east in Vladivostok, but it's got its own problems, namely Japan and Korea surrounding the Sea of Japan, and it's also just a few time zones away from most of the people and goods in Russia. The Black Sea itself is problematic for global shipping. Two defensible water routes strangle traffic to the Mediterranean, the Bosporus Straits, which, is, which narrows to less than a half a mile at one point, and the Dardanelles into the Med. Surprisingly, the answer may be happening, albeit very slowly. Still bitter cold most of the year, the Russian Arctic is slowly increasing traffic with more open suburb waters, turning some of those blue ports, if not red, lighter blue, While still a tiny fraction of uh, all their shipping, slowly rising average temperatures and infrastructure investments are helping to create, if not warm water parts, less uh, frozen ports. Oddly, as Canada is finding out, one unexpected problem is creating fire breaks in the previously too-cold-to-burn boreal forests to protect those growing towns. Russia's major exports, petroleum and minerals, are also concentrating on developing overland routes and pipelines to India and China. Given Russia's uneven population distribution, manufacturing trade does need more access. I think a warm water port is a factor in the Ukraine war, but the global shift to renewables and EVs, combined with allied trade sanctions, suggest energy exports won't be the driving reason.
1: Well, even if you don't care for Taylor Swift's music, you can't help but appreciate how precision technology can turn a wheat field into work of art. So we don't want any bad blood for this next segment. We'll show you this huge mural welcoming Taylor Swift to town next. From a field of wheat stubble to a work of art, the blank space in Missouri transitioned into a welcome to Taylor Swift as she jet-setted to Kansas City. And as we show you this weekend, it was all powered by precision. A blank canvas.
3: this time of the year, wheat is a phenomenal canvas for us to work in.
1: That's about to transition into a work of art.
3: This sits on 25 acres and we are are about 6.3 acres today.
1: Thanks to Rob Stouffer of precision mazes, the mastermind behind it all. His love for precision started with corn mazes 23 years ago, but today he just may be the king of crop art. The mazes
3: are our core business, but we're growing in the area of of, of crop art and it's mainly looking at crop art as as a marketing tool.
1: Bouncing around a couple of ideas, the team at Precision Mazes landed on this, a tribute to Taylor Swift.
3: She's creating quite a stir everywhere she goes and it seemed to be appropriate for us to offer her a hearty Midwestern welcome.
1: So how does the team go from this to bringing the image to life?
3: So we've got GPS equipment in the Bobcat. That tells us where we are. Uh, ahead of time, we have, have essentially taken the artwork and given it geospatial characteristics.
1: But he also relies on his team set up in this makeshift command center, manning the drones.
3: The folks running the drones, that team, we're just communicating back and forth as, as to when they need to do battery swaps and, and uh, giving me input as to what feature to do next. And so there's constant communication going on between myself and and, and our teammates trying to Uh, to do the best project we can.
1: From where to start and stop to every twist and turn, it's crafted with meticulous detail, thanks to prep and planning and this.
3: This cutting tool, so it's gonna take whatever plant material is here, gonna mulch it right back down to the pathway. Depending on what the project is, we'll use this tool.
1: In a field with less vegetation, he taps the rototiller as a tool. But from the variation to crops and scale, each field of art is unique.
3: The challenge for most people recognizing that our paintbrush is five feet wide.
1: This tribute to Taylor Swift is creating quite the buzz, but his favorite field so far is one that he did here in Oric in 2020. Each letter was 74 NFL footballs tall.
3: The Andy Reed project we did a couple years ago featured on Sunday Night Football. I'm a huge football fan. Hearing Al Michaels talk about our work, that
1: was pretty cool. And the project that proved to be the most challenging was this, an 80 acre mural.
3: Aesthetically, probably the most pleasing project we've ever done was uh, was a project in Kansas in wheat a couple years ago uh, for for a Trust the Earth project that we did.
1: But here in this wheat stubble, from boots on the ground to a bird's eye view, thanks to precision mazes, Kansas City's welcome to Taylor Swift may just be bigger than the whole sky.
3: From our work here, you can see we can make a bigger than life impression.
1: Well, the Taylor Swift picture took precision mazes 11 hours to do, but the larger ones, like Trust the Earth, can take an entire week. Also, Tom Waters says he does still plan to double crop beans into the field on Monday. I guess it's not a picture to burn. That's all the time we have this weekend. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to tune in next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by
1: Farm Journal Broadcast.